somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, Kim, we're going to play uh, the Kim Paxton uh, interview. We're going to get into that. But, uh, you know, Kim Paxton uh, did has done a, you know, a lot of good stuff for the state of Texas and for this country. And the left doesn't seem to understand. I had a liberal friend send me uh, an article uh, that was written by a guy named David French, a very famous writer for the New York Times. And they just totally trashed Ken Paxton. This was before he was acquitted. And of course, now he's acquitted. But wait till you hear this story. It sounds so similar to what the Biden justice system did for Trump. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton stopped two and a half million illegal mail-in ballots that would have stolen the Texas 2020 election from Trump. Biden's solution, he tried to impeach Paxton along with the help from None other than Carl Rove, Paul Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, and the Bushes. This photo, uh, this photo that they're showing, Liberty and Justice for Texas, is at a border security briefing at the Texas DPS airport hangar in Edinburgh. Paxton's office coordinated the event with twelve attorneys generals from around the U.S. to discuss legal action against the Biden administration over immigration policy. And he has done so much more because, see, he, like me, knows that this illegal flood that's coming into our country is not just about, it's not just being propped up and supported by the corporations that benefit from the cheap labor the slave labor, the cheap labor 
That's how they're getting the money support. That's how they're getting the turn a blind eye. You're getting the corporate sponsorship, but not for the reasons that the Democrats are doing it. There's a two-prong effort here, probably a three-prong effort. You have the drug cartels that are fleecing the pockets, you know, basically paying off bribes. Haven't you ever seen a movie where, you know, someone says, um, I'll let you go, you know, if you, they, pull, they pull them over, or they do a drug bust, and they'll say, hey, give me everything in your pocket, and I'll let you, you won't spend the night in jail tonight. And that's a corrupt police officer. Well, imagine if you have nothing but corruption along the southern border. And the cartels basically know who you are and they, they're, they're friends with your boss and the bosses do the wrong thing and they take the money because they're bought off and they're easily bought off because it's a hopeless case. They know that the federal government doesn't have their back. So they're just basically going to go ahead and turn a blind eye and not make any waves and make life easy for the cartels who have billions of dollars. So the cartels are making a lot of people, a lot of people along the border are getting rich off the cartels. You know, the drugs coming in. And, you know, there's probably smaller in cottage industries down along the border with weapons for gangs. Of course, you know, the four currencies on the black market, I've always said, you know, human trafficking, drug trafficking, gun trafficking, weapons, you know, arms, and oil. The one thing we're not getting is oil or electrical cobalt or anything like that. But what we are getting is a lot of corruption. We're getting a lot of fentanyl. 70,000, I think I heard the number 70,000 people or uh, kids died. I mean, talk about, talk about, Something that's really worse than any scamdemic or plandemic or, or climate hoax is the real world strife associated with drug dependency. And not only that, accidental overdoses. People are getting and smoking pot laced with fentanyl and they die. I mean, there's a lot. Almost everybody we know now is directly affected. Then there's the flood of tuberculosis. There are places in Africa where they have tuberculosis that are coming flooding through our country. Tuberculosis, COVID. If you look at the hotspots as to where COVID is propping up this fall, guess what? It is the state's along the border, southern border. All kinds of diseases. Do you think that Mayorkas or Biden gives two hoots? Do you think they care about you at all? And the answer is no. The reason why they went after Ken Paxton is because he went after the election fraud and the Democrat Party said no more Ken Paxton. And the Bushes and everybody that's getting paid off by the globalist corporations that are the downline multinational corporations that have this super corporate monopoly and partnership with the government that are all owned by BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street 
are all basically paying off the media with their ad dollars and they're all to silence the truth and they're all paying off the politicians and they're all financing the operations with the cartels and a lot of this stuff is just happening. You got the CP, CBP1 app. You got the Catholic Charities, the NGOs. And they're all processing these people. They're coming on the rooftops of trains coming into the country. Eagle Pass. And they're flooding the area. They're setting up little cities outside of Houston. They're all going to be illegals that are going to get their ballots because of the motor voters structure that they have set up. And the ballot harvesters are going to pick them up and they're going to turn them in. And they're trying to flip Texas just like they tried to rig and manipulate and flip Georgia. And the thing we probably didn't know about Georgia that we do know about Texas Texas is more of a challenge than Georgia, but Kemp, Governor Kemp and his um, cohorts, his AG and his Secretary of State, they all were in on China. They were all in on China. And they sold out to China. And I think that the Georgia influx was manipulated in large, not that there's a large China population, but I think that was more election rigging centric. I think that was more machine oriented. I think with Texas, they're just trying to overwhelm the electorate with illegal ballots that are going to be picked up and processed by harvesters. Get the cameras out, folks, because it's going to be happening this 2024 election season. All right, so we're going to get straight to it. This is going to be good. And basically what we are going to do is play two long clips from Ken Paxton. One, where he's at the Leadership Summit hosted by the Heritage Foundation. And this is going to be about 12 minutes. Then we're going to play Tucker Carlson's interview in its entirety, that's going to be about another 38 minutes. And somehow we're going to talk about it in between. But this is going to take up primar- the, primarily, the primary focus of the show. I hardly ever do this, but when I set, set out to edit up and play a bunch of different clips related to the interview that Ken Paxton gave, it was just so full of good content that I just decided to play the whole thing in its entirety and take half a day off on the show. <laughs> but uh, it's, it wasn't my intention to take off. I could talk till I'm blue in the face. But uh, these are worth listening to because it addresses election fraud in a way that you've not heard before. Because this is an AG who knows. This is an AG who prosecuted, prosecuted election fraud. And this is an AG that was persecuted like Trump. And he's still standing. And he's still fighting the good fight. So we're going to start off with the Heritage uh, speech. 
And then we're going to cut over to the Tucker Carlson speech, and that's pretty much going to be the show today. But, uh, and I hope you'll forgive me for not, um, you know, being the proper host. And but but these are going to be. I think you're going to love these interviews. So let's take a listen. I'm actually going to say these words. You're not really supposed to say them in American politics anymore. Uh, you can get censored. You can be criticized by the media. The word is the words are election fraud. And I'm just going to say them out loud because it's happening not just in my state but all over the country. And I only have a few minutes to talk about it. I could talk about it for a very long time, and uh, I don't think that would be productive. But I can tell really one quick story that will sum up the issues that we are struggling with as it relates to election fraud in my state and I believe across the country. So in Texas, we have very specific laws about how you can do mail-in ballots. And I can talk about voting machines, all kinds of different ways that election fraud occurs, but the one that I know happens very significantly, at least in my state, and I think across the country, is mail-in ballots. And our legislature passed, when I was in the Texas House, we passed a photo ID law. It's been very effective, uh, because when you have to show up with a photo ID, it, it works pretty darn well as opposed to showing up with a utility bill. And it's interesting because the argument has been that, that, that that's discriminatory. Now, as we all know, to check into this hotel, you had to show a photo ID. To get here on a plane, you had to show a photo ID. Pretty much everything you do, and no one looks at it as discriminatory or illegitimate, except when you vote, for some reason, the argument is that's discriminatory, even though we all have to provide the same thing. Well, fortunately, in Texas, we passed it, and it, it has been, it's been over a decade. It's been very successful. And despite the claims that, that voter participation would go down, voter participation has gone up because people trust the system. They're more likely to go vote. It seems very reasonable, and it's actually worked very well. It works very well in states that require photo ID. If you do not have that in your state, you have a high risk of, of voter fraud. So in Texas, there are very specific, and I think this is true in other states. Now, I'm not talking about California or Oregon. I'm talking about states that actually care about election integrity, like Utah, Senator. Um, we require that you can only mail-in ballot for certain reasons. You have to be disabled. You have to prove that you're out of town. You have to have um, over 65, or you are in prison, but you're not a felon. Only reasons you can do. Those are still pretty broad reasons for, for voting by mail. So when you vote by mail, and I want to explain this. Some of you might know this, but it's really important to understand this because the argument is you guys can't prove fraud. And guess what? The other side, because of the way they do this, is absolutely correct. Because when you... Typically, mail out a mail-on uh, mail ballot. You have to you have to request by application. You sign that mail-on ballot. Say, I need this mail-on ballot because I'm over 65 or I'm going to be out of town. And you send it in, and they send you a ballot. You you vote. You stick your ballot into an envelope. You sign that envelope, and you send it back in. And they don't have a photo ID, but they can compare signatures. That's what they do. It's called signature verification. It is not ideal. It is not the most safe process, but it is something, and it. It, it, it works okay. Well, what happened during COVID, and it happened in my state, and I want to tell you that story because it, I, think it, I, I think we were able to stop what other states didn't see or didn't try to stop. We ended up having judges in about 12 different counties basically ignore our state law and say, no, because of COVID, we're not going to follow state law. And by the way, these were all very liberal counties. This was Travis County, which is Austin, Harris County, which is Houston, Bear County, which is San Antonio. They decided they would just mail out ballots to everyone. 
Well, that means in Harris County, we're talking about close to two and a half million ballots. In Travis County, over a million ballots. In Bear County, over a million ballots. Donald Trump won our state by 620,000 votes. And so we realized that we had a huge issue. We had 12 lawsuits, all in the worst counties, all with judges that were going to rule against us, including the Court of Appeals in each area. And all I could do was say, wow, what a genius strategy by whoever put this together, whether it was George Soros or somebody else, somebody thought this up because it was too well organized. And it was was a drain on our resources because we were having to fight in all of these different counties. And I had to go to my team, my legal team, very good. And by the way, the, the win wasn't 75% against uh, the federal government. It's more like 80. I just want to correct that. Um, so I have a very good legal team. And I said, look, we cannot lose a single case. We have 12 cases. If we lose one case, they win. I said, it's a genius strategy. We are in liberal courts where we're going to lose. We're in courts of appeals where we are going to lose. It doesn't matter what the law says. And if we lose, if we can't figure out how to win all of those cases, we're going to lose the state. And so we, we went after it, and we had to maneuver around our courts of appeals who were trying to hold up. Travis County was trying to hold up until the ballots got mailed out, a decision on the merits of the case. And so if that happened, if the, if the ballots go out, the genie's out of the bottle, and we lose. Game over. Texas legislature very likely turns Democrat. Some of the Supreme Court members, four of them were up. We lose four of the nine. We're in trouble. And very likely Donald Trump loses the election. So I called the president in May, and I said, hey, you need to know this. I said, I don't have time to deal with other states, but very likely you're, you've got a very good chance of losing Texas by mail-in ballot. He goes, there's no way I lose Texas. I, I won by nine points. I said, yes, but if they have a chance to mail out all these ballots, and I said, I've got 12 cases. If I don't win every single one of them, I have a feeling you will lose. If Harris County can send out two and a half million ballots, they will just count ballots until they get to the right number. Because when those ballots get mailed out, we don't know who sends them in because there's no signature verification. Anybody can sign those ballots. They can grab as many of them as they want, send them in, claim that they're legitimate, and we can't prove that they're not. And so there's nothing we can do. So you better hope that I win. And I said, the reason I'm calling you is not to tell you about the trouble I have in Texas. The reason I'm calling you is because I'm worried that this is going on in other states. And so I can't deal with other states. I can't deal with wherever this is happening, but I'm guessing if it's happening in Texas and it's such a significant strategy that I can plainly see in front of me, it's got to be happening nationwide. So I went on my business, and in the end, we fought these people. We had some very creative ways of getting around, and we had to try maneuvers we'd never tried before to get to the Texas Supreme Court because four of them were up, and I was hoping that if we could get to them, they would see that they were in trouble. And so we filed this thing called the mandamus of the local district clerks, never been tried that I know of, and we mandamus the district clerks in each of those counties where they were trying to mail out the ballots directly to the Supreme Court saying, hey, this is an emergency. We also found our way to the Fifth Circuit. And fortunately, the court took it, totally novel way of getting to them, and they ruled in our favor, and we, one by one, we won all 12 of those lawsuits. And so what happened? On election day... I'm sitting there watching the election results, and for the first time in my life, election counting stopped in numerous states, particularly, obviously, battleground states. And it was very clear to me, I knew immediately what was going on, it was very clear to me that what they were doing, they were figuring out how many real votes they had, just like they would have done in Texas, 
And they were just going to count as many mail-in ballots because you don't know where those mail-in ballots came from. There's no way to prove that they came from the person that supposedly signed it. And so when I saw what happened in all of these states, and I'll give you an example, Georgia. Georgia, if you go back four years prior to that election when Trump won, the margin of victory in Georgia was the same as it was in Texas, almost exactly, same demographics. This time, Trump won by almost 9% in Texas, and he lost Georgia by, what, whatever it was, 40,000 votes? 12,000. How did that happen? Well, guess what? They decided to sign a consent decree that said that they would accept mail-in ballots with no signature verification, mail-in ballots that weren't following state law, and drop boxes. I can tell you what's going to happen when that happens. You're going to lose because there's no, there's no ballot security for those, for those votes. And so I wish I could say this story was over for me in Texas. We, we just had our Court of Criminal Appeals, which in our, in our state, we have a bifurcated system where the Texas Supreme Court does civil cases, the Court of Criminal Appeals is the final say, the Supreme Court, so to speak, on criminal matters, and they, all Republican, and by the way, these are, these are members of the court that no one knows, even Republicans, and as a setup, I should say that Soros has done a very good job. He has elected his DAs in Austin, which is Travis County. He's done it in Bexar County, which is San Antonio. He's done it in Houston. And the reason I know is I used to work with the DAs in these counties who were Democrats, who used to prosecute cases, and now suddenly Soros went in and knocked all of them out and put his own people in. So I know that they're not going to prosecute voter fraud. That's what we used to do. We did it from 1951. And by the way, I was not the AG in 1951. I've not been there that long. I mean, I've been there a while. In 1951, the legislature passed a statute. And, and by the way, my job, I have four jobs, and one of them is to do such things as are required by law. Well, what things are required by law? The things that the legislature passes. The legislature directed the attorney general, probably because of political reasons with local DAs not prosecuting voter fraud, to prosecute voter fraud. So we had about 900 cases going at the time. And the Court of Criminal Appeals stepped in a year and a half ago, all, all Republicans, 8-1, and said, it's unconstitutional for you to prosecute voter fraud. And they said, and, and maybe Mike, Senator Lee can explain this to me, he said it's a, it's the constitutional violation is separation of powers. Because I'm in the executive branch, I do not have the authority to go to court at all. Which, by the way, if that's true, no AG in the country be allowed to go to court. It, it, it truly is a separation of powers. It was the most bizarre finding after 72 years of precedent. And so we're trying to get that fixed. But I can tell you, if we do not get that fixed, they will accomplish what they were trying to do with mail-in ballots. And so I'm here to tell you my time is up. My here, my, I'm here to tell you Lynn Fitch is amazing. What she did with the Dobbs case, we came in and we wrote the amicus for that. What she did was save thousands of lives. What um, the representative was talking about transgender issue, important issues. These are all important issues. But if you do not take care of election integrity, if we do not in our own states focus on protecting, and this is a strategy that isn't going away for the, for the left, they're going to continue to try to steal elections. And I know it's controversial to say it, and somehow they get to cheat. And I, I, I'm telling you, I had 900 cases in Texas, and I only have three or four lawyers that can do them. So if we had more lawyers, we'd be doing more prosecutions. Of course, that's been ended for now. I'm just telling you, there's lots of voter fraud going on. We have proof of it. And don't let people make you feel stupid for bringing up the obvious, which why can't we, if you're so sure there's no voter fraud, make sure 
that you vote with a photo ID, that mail-in ballot is more secure, why would anybody that cares about fair and free elections in a democracy actually criticize you for wanting to protect your elections? So God bless you all for being here. And So, you know, I, I think that at that point, you take that case to the Supreme Court and you make the argument that the fraud can't be detected with mail-in balloting absent of signature verification and that the states that cheated, Pennsylvania, I know for a fact, failed their signature verification thresholds. Maricopa, we know for a fact, set their threshold to 10% detection. So we know that signature verification is at the heart of this. We also know why signature verification is at the heart of it because ballot harvesters can't, they're processing by hand because you can't just print these things off. They got to be real ink. So if there's an audit, you know, you could say, oh, this is a printed signature. This is not a handwritten signature. Throw that out. So you got to at least have a real pen, real ink, or real pencil, or real whatever. And once you do that, there's only so many that they could fill out. And the signatures are never going to match. Not with the salaries they're paying these ballot harvesters, which is not bad. I mean, they're making bank. You know, collecting ballots, filling them out, and dropping them off. We've seen hidden video footage of people like, you know, basically saying, I can get 5,000 ballots processed and that'll cost $50,000. And of course, you know, with the billions of dollars that they gain from the power that they get from the cheating that they do, and it's not their money that they're spending. It's it's other people's money. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, you could finance Ukraine all long, all day long until it starts coming out of the senators' pockets. I think that the senators who and congressmen that sign off on aid to Ukraine have to take have to take a percentage of that out of their salaries. It's my thought. You know, somehow, you know, or if they're going to do COVID mandates and mask restrictions and and vaccine mandates and all that, they're going to have to take the same vaccine. They're going to have to do it. They're going to have to take the hit. But the only people that were actually getting a salary during during the pandemic, you know, the lockdown, were the politicians. They were all getting paid. You know, and then you have uh, the climate czar flying private. You know, and all these other things. These, these um, uh, Marie Antoinette, you know, the, uh, the aristocratic elite, you know, let them, um, let them eat cake moment. 
And uh, so, you know, Victor Davis Hanson's been talking quite a bit about that concept of what's really going on, how the middle class is being fleeced, paying for the elite's privilege, and the elites basically treat those payers, workers, like like the like uh, peasants. All right, we're going to go ahead and now flip it to uh, the next clip. This is the interview by Tucker Carlson with Ken Paxton, and it opens up with media trashing Ken Paxton. Let's take a listen. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Ken Paxton. Ken Paxton. Impeachment. 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 You went to the FBI on September 30th without any evidence. That's right. We took no evidence. Allegations of bribery, unfitness for office, and abuse of public trust. He's being attacked by his own employees. Did you gain any after that? I don't recall. It's about Ken Paxton and how bad Ken Paxton is. The Board of Managers presented overwhelming evidence. A finding of acquittal is entered as to Article 1. Well, this is a resounding victory. Ken Paxton has survived 16 votes on articles of impeachment. You're the most aggressive legal opponent of the Biden administration in the United States. You're Republican elected with a big margin in a Republican state, but it was Republicans who tried to take you out. How can you be removed from your job without being convicted of something? We are a huge problem for the Biden administration. Take away your job, they take away your money. And they took away my ability ultimately to even speak. Well, that doesn't really sound like the way democracy is supposed to work. If you can do impeachments like this and you can have mail-in ballots, we don't have democracy. It feels like Texas is going to be a democratic state pretty soon. I think that's the goal. We lose Texas, we lose everything. Ken Paxton is the attorney general of the state of Texas and one of the primary checks against federal power. So far in the Biden administration, Paxton's office has filed 48 lawsuits against the administration. This past November, he was elected overwhelmingly to his third term. But then within months, he was impeached in the state of Texas on a bunch of different counts, a pretty complicated case against him, alleging that he gave special favors to a donor. He was just acquitted in that trial in the Texas State Senate. Kind of an amazing spectacle, but it raises a bigger question, which is how did this happen? Why did it happen? And maybe most interestingly, who actually runs the state of Texas? In his first interview since his acquittal, Attorney General Ken Paxton joins us on the set. Mr. Attorney General, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. What a great place. So um, congratulations on your acquittal. Uh, but I'm fascinated by the fact that you were impeached in the first place. How did this happen? First of all, let me just say, it was, as you've read through this, very complicated. It, it was, is complicated, it was, yes. It was, it, was, it was crazy, but I truly believe it became very political. And I am sitting here because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I was delivered because it wasn't just about the law. It became political completely, and I didn't know how it was going to turn out on the political side. But it's, it's just interesting because... Um, you know, your fans and your detractors, I think, would both acknowledge that you're the most aggressive legal opponent of the Biden administration in the United States. You're a Republican elected with a big margin in a Republican state, but it was Republicans who tried to take you out. Yeah, that's what it looks like. But in reality, I believe the Texas House, a lot of people don't understand this. I spent 10 years in the Texas House. Yes. And we have 150 members of the Texas House, and 65 of them are Democrats. 
And those 65 Democrats always vote in block and they pick the Republican they want and they deliver those 65 votes. And that Republican then has to come up with 10 votes because their own vote's going to count for the speaker, for the speaker, for, for the speaker. So whoever gives those Democrats the most, whatever Republican agrees to the most gets elected. In this case, I believe and I think the, the, the wait, so you're saying that the Republican speaker of Texas is chosen by the Democrats? Pretty much. Yeah, because that 65 is hard to overcome. All he has to do then is find 10 Republicans because he's got his own vote. And usually you can find 10 Republicans who are either his friends or who he gives big committee summits to, like appropriations or state affairs or something big. It's pretty easy to put together. Wait, so you can have a big majority in the Texas House, but still not control the Texas House. That's exactly what has been happening over the last, say, 14 years, 16 years. That's crazy. It is crazy. And people don't, and of course, the media doesn't tell people about that. That's literally what happens in the Texas House. So we have a really hard time. The Senate is great. They, they're very conservative. They've done great things for Texas, but they get blocked a lot of times. And a lot of my stuff gets blocked in the Texas House because Dave Phelan, the speaker, is controlled by the Democrats. You really believe that? Yeah. So I was in the House. I saw it at work. I was pushed towards that. I actually ran against the speaker, a Republican speaker, for that reason, because I could not vote for a speaker controlled by the Democrats. Now, I couldn't win because I didn't have the Democrats. Well, that doesn't really sound like the way democracy is supposed to work. It's how it's working in Texas right now. And that's why this is an opportunity. My impeachment actually becomes the opportunity, I think, to speak to this issue I'm going to be out talking about. It. I have, I have a, a pretty concrete example of why this doesn't work. And here's my argument. There were two of the four House investigating lawyers that worked at the Department of Justice in Washington. And that's no random. Uh, it's not random. It's not Should, like, it, it, explain that a little bit for those. So, who so haven't the House followed. investigating committees. There's five members. There's three Republicans, two Democrats. It's Texas House. Texas House. They are responsible for. They were. They were the ones that investigated me, and they hired. I think it was four lawyers. Two of them came from the Biden DOJ. That's not an accident. They were sent there. But you had filed 48 suits against the Biden administration. Yes, and I think that was the motivation. We were causing a lot of trouble for the Biden administration. Even if we didn't win, we slowed them down. And we were winning, I think our number is 77% of our cases. So we are a huge problem for the Biden administration. And that was the way to get me out of the way. And obviously that had an impact on, on the lawsuits being filed by Texas and other states. So you think that this that the effort to remove you from office really came from the Biden administration? I really do. I think that's where it, it was instigated. And then there were other groups in Texas uh, that we can talk about that I think were largely participating. Interesting. And some of those are Republicans. So some of them are Republicans. Yes. So how did just to, to your case really quick, how did you find out you were being impeached and what happened? I, I literally had no idea. It was it was a committee meeting of the House Investigating Committee, I think it was three or four days before Memorial Weekend, the end of session. So they're busy trying to pass all these big bills and they decide they're gonna spend one day investigating me. Of course, they'd done secret investigation for three months that we didn't know about behind closed doors with no transparency, no due process. Which you, almost immediately after you're reelected to a third term, yes, they begin investigating yes, you. Yes, but I don't know that. They started in March is what they said, like March 1st. And they investigated secretly behind closed doors with no one knowing. Even the House Investigating Committee, not all of them knew. I know for sure that one of the Republicans had no idea until they got to that day that it was me. And he was told to vote for impeachment without knowing anything about the case and actually disagreeing with doing it. But he was told his career would be affected if he didn't vote for impeachment. So those five members had an investigation for one day. They did a four-hour hearing. And within 40, less than 48 hours from that, I was impeached on Saturday Memorial Weekend without an opportunity to present my side, without an opportunity to have any sworn testimony, which is required by law. They are required to have witnesses sworn in under oath. No one was sworn in under oath. They didn't even have witnesses. They brought in investigators 
who had talked to witnesses, which is obviously hearsay and wrong. So that's how it all got done. It was done in less And this than was a total shock to you? I had no idea. They didn't come talk to me. They told me nothing about it. They didn't tell anybody. So what happens once it was announced you're being impeached? What I, happens to you? It was horrible. I was immediately suspended, so I lost my, my, my office. I couldn't do any more lawsuits against Biden or anything. What do you mean else. you were suspended? Suspended means I can't be in the office anymore. I can't direct what's going on in the office, even though I'm elected, even though they proved nothing, even though they had no testimony, no You evidence. hadn't been convicted. Hadn't been convicted. They had presented no evidence. They had presented no witnesses, and I'm well, out. How? Okay. That's a very weird process. So you don't even know you're being investigated the moment you find out you're being investigated and impeached or suspended from your job? Yes. It's the way it's, it's the way that I think it's constitutional. And I think it needs to be changed because they should have to prove something before the will of the voters is overridden. And that's what happened. The will of the voters. I've been I was in four and a half months. Now I've been out of office suspended for almost four months. So half my time of my term now I've spent not being able to do what the people of Texas elected me to do. How can you be removed from your job without being convicted of something? It seems pretty crazy, but that's the way the law is. And I know that the, the Dan Patrick, lieutenant governor, has suggested now that that be changed. They should have to prove that you did something wrong before they remove you from operating as, as somebody who was So you elected. just wake up in the morning and they're like, you think you're an elected official. Yes. And now you're not. You're just in limbo. I walked out of the, when they did it that day, I, that Saturday. I had to walk out of the office, and I haven't been back a day since, not a minute since. And was unable to do anything. I can't direct any of our our legal operations. So you know, I, I have to go now figure out what's going on in my own office. And a lot of people have left. It, they created a lot of harm to the state of Texas by doing it this way. Did you think the voters were in charge? Before. I used to. I used to think like election. <laughs> I'm like very suspicious now. If they can do this to me, I mean, they can do this to a lieutenant. So governor. they take you out of office. Do they pay you? No. Well, they're supposed to. By law, I am the attorney general. It's, it's, it's in the statute that, that, that I'm getting paid. The comptroller, Glenn Hager, for some reason decided, you know what? I'm not going to pay you. I'm taking away. Go sue me. And he knows that if I sue him in Austin, I'm, I have a hard time winning any case in Austin. Cause so they so take over. away your job. They take away your money. What do you do? And they took away my ability ultimately to even speak. What do you so mean? We had a gag order put in place on both parties somewhere, I think, in June. So I could no longer even defend what was being leaked by the House team to two reporters. A gag order? A gag order. So I could not respond to any... Uh, so you've been convicted of nothing. That's correct. You've not been able to bring your side of the story to the investigators, I guess. They refused. We tried to even send somebody there a little you know, sham hearing that lasted less than four hours. And they said, no, we don't want to hear your side. And then you can't speak in public about it? That's correct. This but is don't you have a First Amendment right to I say what you think? I, that's my opinion. But the problem is I can't really challenge it because the very people that put it on, and it was done by the Senate, the Senate, uh, put it in place. And so there's nothing I can do about it because they're my votes for acquittal. So I can't go challenge the people that, you know, ultimately are responsible for whether I get acquitted. I can't start, you know, attacking them on legal issues. Well, if there was a gag order, then why was I reading about the details every day in the, in the <laughs> media? The House didn't follow the gag order. They leaked everything to the Austin American Statesman or the Houston Chronicle or the Dallas Morning News. So I just had to take it. I mean, there was nothing I could but do. But why wouldn't they impose a gag order on those media outlets, which, for the record, hate you, yes. I think. It's very safe for ideological reasons. But so they're allowed to talk about you, but you're not allowed to talk about your position on That's this? That's correct. Specifically told, they were speci I mean, specifically said, we're, of course, this doesn't apply to the media. So then the House knows. We just have to get it to the right place. 
we the gag order does is fine for us because we can leak it to a, a sympathetic press. I have. We well, so why would the media be allowed to attack you, but you're not allowed to defend yourself? That's, that's insane. That's the way the rules got set up. It was very difficult to deal with because it was every day a new story that I couldn't say anything about. And then people assume you're... It doesn't sound American at all. It, it wasn't fair. Well, that's... Is that... Um, I mean, you are an attorney general, chief law enforcement officer of the state. Is this common? Well, you know, we see gag orders in certain cases, but I'm in a political position, and this became extremely political. And, you know, I I felt like I was, you know, two hands tied behind my back, and I felt like I had a constitutional right to um, be what, able to speak. Well, you do have a constitutional right to be able to speak, um, period. Uh, I, that's what I thought, the Bill of Rights guaranteed. Me First too. First Amendment. Me too. Um, but doesn't... <laughs> that should apply to everybody. How can it only apply to their enemies. Look, it, it's got to apply to everybody, including people I disagree with. They are they should be free to speak. They should be free to criticize me. I should be free to respond. So I do not fault them for having the ability to speak against Well, me. so if you're not getting paid and you're not allowed to talk and you're being impeached, how do you pay for your legal defense? So that was the other thing. So we have a moratorium on raising money during session. It starts 30 days prior to session. So it started December 10th, I think. And then through the governor's veto period, which was like June 20th, I think, or 21st, I was able to raise money. And I spent almost all my money on my campaign because I had a primary, a runoff, and a general. I spent 16, 17 Who'd months. you run against in the primary? George P. Bush and a few others. Huh. Yeah. So I spent all my money. So they knew when they did the impeachment, I didn't have any money. And so they kicked me out. Then they have taxpayer dollars to pay for every lawyer they want. I think they had 14 to 17 lawyers. And I had to go hire my own team. I had no help. Uh, I had no money, and I was starting from scratch. They had already done investigations. So they get to use taxpayer dollars to prosecute you, but you can't use taxpayer dollars to defend yourself. I was not uh, afforded legal representation by the state while I was out. (laughs) I mean, even rapists get legal representation paid for by the state. Think about how many people survive just that. You have no money. You have no lawyers. You have no ability to speak, and you're up against a force that's already done an investigation, they already have information, and you don't have any of their information. You don't even know really what the charges are because even the articles were very vague. They didn't identify elements of a crime. So then we have to like figure out, like, what is it? Some more so vague, we didn't even know what they meant. Like, but if I go kill someone, which I don't plan to do, but if I did, yeah. and I'm indigent, I have no money, the state pays for my legal defense, correct? If you, if you can't afford it, yes. Yes. And I get to defend myself if I want. I get to say I'm innocent of yes. what I'm being charged with, right? That's correct. And I'm accused of murder. Yes. And you were accused, I think, of getting like a new countertop in your house from a, a developer or yes. something. Other things like that, yes. Yeah. Huh. Um, so how did this happen? So again, I want to get back to the the central mystery here, which is how does a conservative state conservative enough to reelect you three times. Mm-hmm. How does this happen in a state like that? So there's, I told you about the Biden piece of this. Then there's a group called Texans for Lawsuit Reform. They have spent, they spent a lot of money to bring in another candidate, uh, Eva Guzman, who was on the Supreme Court, to be part of running against me. And they thought that if they got enough people running against me, I, they could take me out of a primary or run me out of money by putting me into a, a, a runoff. And this group has spent a lot of money. And they were certainly not only part of trying to get me defeated, uh, but they were also very much a part of this effort. We have emails where they've written articles and they send them to Karl Rove and then Karl Rove gets them published in the Wall Street Journal. Whereas we couldn't get anything published in the Wall Street Journal, even before the gag order, we were turned down for our editorial by the Wall Street Journal. 
Because we had a guy that tried to submit one. They said, we can't do yours. And the next day they did Carl Rove. So Carl Rove wrote a piece um, this summer, I believe in August, saying that you were going to be convicted. Yes. And that was... Gloating. Yes. And calling you a bad person. Yes. So Rove is obviously a, a huge liberal. Why would Carl Rove have the sway that he does at the Wall Street Journal and in Texas. It's confusing. So I don't know why he has sway at the Wall Street Journal. And I don't think he has that much sway in Texas. I mean, he, his candidates typically lose. I mean, he's he's backed my opponents in every AG race that I've been in. First one, and then the last one with the Bush. Very tied in with the Bushes. But he's definitely also tied in with this Texans for lawsuit reform. And they were communicating. And he was also communicating with some of the uh, employees, some of my staffers, that had made these charges. He was he. We have text messages with him communicating with them as well. So there was, I knew this was going on. I didn't have proof, but during this process, we got some of the proof that I thought existed. So Karl Rove gets straight a piece in the Wall Street Journal, which I think is the biggest circulation paper in the country, or close anyway, yeah. calling you immoral and saying that you're going to be convicted in this trial and that you deserve it. You should be destroyed. And you go to the Wall Street Journal and say, I'd like to kind of give my side of it, and they say no. One of my friends did, and they said, "No, we're not going to publish yours." And and he didn't. They were very non. They were very vague about why they couldn't do it, but they were not letting my side of the story be published. So, just to Carl Rove, who again is is an activist liberal working effectively for the Biden administration, and yes. who, who shares their their views totally and their ideology. I mean, he's, he's a liberal, big time. Just hangs out in Aspen. Got it. <laughs> But wh- how would Carl Rove still be a force in Texas politics? Are most Texas voters kind of on board with the Rove program? No, I think he tries to be a force. His, the numbers, it, it's, it's, you know, I think my numbers in the primary show, I got 68%. George P. got 32 He's he's He has some influence with that 32%, but not so much with that 68%. But they thought if they buried me in negativity, of course, you remember, I'm, I can't speak. And I'm trying to just raise enough money to have some type of legal offense. They felt like they had all the advantage, so he just starts pounding me with bad stories. It was a, it was a, it was a strategy. So describe Rove is famous not as an intellectual, hardly, but as a political strategist, as a tactician. Describe his method of politics. Uh, you know, he's he, there's nothing he won't do. I, I believe he he doesn't mind if destroying a person's life because I mean what this effectively potentially could lead to one is not only out of office but I can never run again it affects my reputation potentially puts me in legal jeopardy any strategy is open to Karl Rove he is good with it as long as he gets his way so destroying the person his family his marriage his... no no problem for Karl Rove what's interesting is that um when George W. Bush was president I, I mean I was there Rove was relentlessly attacked by the media as a vicious person. Now Karl Rove is defended by the media. How did that happen? I think they realize he's not conservative. He's more in line with I mean, Bill Clinton and, and President Obama than he is in line with our voters in Texas. And so the media is very sympathetic. And, and doing things like this only encourages the media to support Karl Rove. Interesting. So to, uh, to the House Speaker uh, of Dave Phelan, or Dade Phelan, um, who led the charge against you. I want to, it got personal. And at one point you suggested, or your allies suggested that he had been drunk on the floor of the Texas house in your famous pink building. Um, We have the video. He apparently was outraged that you said that he was drunk. Here's the video and maybe our viewers can assess whether you were right. Campbell, send that amendment. The amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? 
the chair has none. Members adopt it. The chair recognizes Mr. Mr. Johnson of Harris. Mr. Johnson of Harris to speak in opposition to the bill. The chair recognizes Ms. Niave Criado to speak in opposition to the bill. Thank you. So what, what language is that? Is that Hungarian, <laughs> Esperanto? I, I didn't understand. Like, what was that? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, uh, it was, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, he was definitely drunk. And they tried to say well, he, he was. Or on uh, something. He was, tired, he was, he was t- very tired or whatever. <laughs> Is it you? So you said you served ten years in the Texas House. Is there? Is that? Were you shocked by that? No, I've seen lots of alcohol on the floor. I've seen lots of people drunk. I mean, it's it's, but it's really unusual for the speaker to do that. And I don't. I, I think we have other clips of him where it looks like he's drunk. That was that one was probably the most clear. It was at the end of session, and I just thought it was unbecoming of a speaker that he should not put himself out in public. You know, have somebody, he doesn't have to be. If he worked in a factory, he'd be fired. Absolutely. Like, you're not allowed to be drunk at work. And I was horrified. No, I was horrified that the House members didn't respond. I asked them to look into him. Like, why don't you see if he's drinking on the floor? Because we shouldn't allow a speaker, especially our party, to present himself like that in public. And they did nothing about it. Instead, they came after me. So he was annoyed when you pointed out he was drunk on the floor. I'm sure he was. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure he was. It seemed like bad things started happen, happening right away. So I'm going to watch that again when we get off the air because I'm uh, kind of sympathetic. You're not probably not that drunk at work unless you've got a problem. I mean, I can't. Yes. Normal people don't act like that. Um, so, so do you believe that his, the speaker, Dade Feelin's uh, opposition to you is, is ideological as well? Yeah, I think it's more about power for him. He, I don't think he particularly has an ideology. I yeah. think his is like, I want to stay in power. I've cut this deal to be speaker with the Democrats. I have to deliver. The Biden administration goes to the Democrats. I don't think they. I don't think the Biden administration went to feel. I think they went. He went to the, they went to the Democrats, and the Democrats said, "This is what we want. We want him out because I was causing so much trouble for the Biden administration." And then you had these other forces come in with the Rove and the TLR, Texans for Lawsuit Reform group, and that was the power. And, and by the way, Texans for Lawsuit Reform gave lots of money to House members and lots of members to senators. So they have a lot of influence. They give more money to Republican members than any other group or any other single donor. Almost every single one of those Republicans that voted against me got money from Texans for Lawsuit Reform a lot. How much time approximately, what percentage of his time does Karl Rove spend trying to destroy Republicans? I think a good part. I mean, obviously he makes money on, on Fox and he has other things he does. But I mean, I my view is that his his PACs, have gone after conservatives for, for, for a long time under the guise of being, you know, a pack that goes after Democrats. But I, I don't view him as an ally of Republicans. Well, no, that's for sure. Um, but why is it so threatening? So if a Republican stands up and says, you know, maybe we should have, you know, real borders, for example, why is that so threatening? The only thing I can think of, you know, you look at guys like uh, Dick Wakely, who's a home builder, and he's one of the leaders of TLR. I mean, they, I think they, they think illegal immigration is a good thing. It helps their business. And obviously, I don't agree with that. I think it's devastating to my state. And if we want to have a program where we're, we're going to bring workers in from other countries, let's, let's get some legislation to do it the right way instead right. of just opening our borders to who knows who. Coming well, you've had border. millions of illegal aliens cross your border into every, Texas. Yeah, every year. Right. And a lot of them have gone to other parts of the country. I mean, they're 
kind of destroying New York City right now. Um, but they're completely changing the country and its political balance, too. Yes. Republicans in Texas, are they aware of that? I think it's it's probably I mean, the number one issue, other than maybe voter fraud. Uh, I think that's probably right up there with that with that issue. It's 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 affecting our, obviously our border communities are devastated. You have towns that have thirty six thousand people, and you get more than that more illegals coming through there than people that live there. So it's definitely. I don't understand if you're John Cornyn, who's your senator. Yep. Um, how and you live in Texas, or at least part time live in Texas? How can you? not be outraged and upset about that. Why? How can you allow this to happen? Look, I have no idea why he doesn't seem to address this on a regular basis. Thank God that Ted Cruz has. But John Cornyn has been basically vacant on this issue. He's not. He's not. Taking why? Care. Look, he to me, he's been in Washington too long. He's 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 been there, what, for 14 years or so. And I, I can't think of a single thing he's accomplished for our state or even for the country, let alone the fact that we have a, a massive invasion into our state. And he doesn't speak out against it. He doesn't do any. I've never seen him propose legislation that significantly affects it or at least push hard for it. I, I haven't seen him in that fight. No. And in fact, if you if you were to go through every public statement John Cornyn has made in the last two years and compare the amount of time he spent talking about the invasion of his own state by the rest of the world with the time he spent talking about the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, he's far more concerned about what's happening in Ukraine so how can a guy like that be your senator? I, you know what? I don't. I think he's never really had competition. I, I, Why don't you just, run against him? Hey, look, everything's on the table for me. Now, now that I've been through this and I've seen how guys like John Cornyn are, have, have represented the state of Texas and not represented us, I think it's time somebody needs to step up and run against this guy that will do the job and do it the right way and represent us and worry about what, what's going on at the border. And, you know, what's going on at the border the next step, uh, next phase of this interview, he gets into what we have already heard in the pre previous clip, and that is uh, the election fraud that's associated with mail-in balloting and that how they're using the motor voter uh, to get the illegals registered to vote. And that was the next uh, segment that they talked about. And uh, we talk about that every day. Um, but it would be great to see Ken Paxton run against Cornyn and get some new blood in the Senate. Um, we need people that take illegal immigration, illegal immigration serious and election fraud serious. And this, you know, this choice to go with slave cheap labor rather than to get inflation under control and hire Americans again to build the houses and the buildings in Texas. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams show. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the Scott Adams show. Be sure to check out magapack.org. Find out how we're advancing America first policies to make America great again and help keep this show commercial free. Also use red state over at mypillow.com. And we'll see you next time just a on the radio. Bye, buddy. Today.